Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Amen. How y'all doing this morning? Y'all can give God one more praise. Epiph, I long, I long for y'all, for us to learn one day that praise shifts the atmosphere of a gathering. One day we're going to learn it. We ain't, we ain't there yet. But one day you're going to learn how to shift the atmosphere through worship and know what it does and how it changes you. And change. You ain't there yet, but we're going to get there because I'm, I'm going to talk about that later, but you're going to learn cross-ethnically that praise shifts atmospheres and it takes off chains, it brings down walls, it destroys yokes of bondage. Matter of fact, if you come in heavy, you can put on a garment of praise and just the stuff that you came in with or somehow just get up off of you just because you're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. One day we're going to learn that praise shifts the atmosphere. One day, one day, it's all right. It's all right, it's in my spirit today. So, um... But we're going to get there. We're going we're gonna to learn it. We're going to learn it. Praise doesn't interrupt your gathering. It starts it. We're going to get there, though. We're going to get there, though. Um, we too, Sadiddy, and you know, and, and everything. Um, but Sadiddy doesn't get you in God's presence. Amen. I know theologically you're saying I'm already in God's presence. I'm talking about the dwelling presence. That's, there's a, that's a different place in God where you get to go. Um, no matter what you're going through. Anyway, Diamond Fest. <laughs> um, I'm so excited about this opportunity for us to um, do this again on July 7th. How many of you excited about this opportunity? Amen. Amen. My wife and I will be giving, and we're looking forward to raising uh, these resources the same way we did in the same amount of time that God provided those resources. It's very, very um, important for us to get this done. This is one of our mechanisms of engagement. Somebody say engagement. engagement. We have three levels of engagement. Remember here, when it comes to, when it comes to um, outreach, we go from um, blitzes. Somebody say blitzes, blitzes. connections, Connection. and city investment. And so really, um, the Diamond Fest contains all three because we blitz the neighborhood, we connect with people in the neighborhood, but we also do long-term investment through everything from resume development on the spot and interview skills and then put them right in front of employers that are right there. Uh, right next, this time we'll be on the block. They were in the basement last time and they were able to interview immediately and find out whether or not they got the job on the spot. And so we want to do things like that. We want to do health checks. Um, um, we know that because of the type of food that's made available to people in this neighborhood, that many times there are health challenges that are based on income and based on availability. Somebody should have said amen right there. And so what we want to do is we want to do health checks, health education, and futuristically, we'd love to make sure that uh, our neighborhood and our city has better access to better food. Like Shobaraka said, uh, can we eat good? And so, um, I'm sorry, whiz pass. Um, and, so, and so it's very, very important that we, that we see all these things done. But then we, we're not just having an event, we're sharing the gospel with people, loving on our neighborhood and letting them know that the church is willing to be out there on the block. 
And so um, it's going to be probably around, it's around the same amount as last year, 60000 So we're looking to raise that. Don't switch your giving from normal giving uh, to transition giving because you can't stop giving to the storehouse. We have an outreach and won't have a ministry long term. So you got to make sure that you do your regular giving. But above your normal giving, somebody said, I don't have it. Well, um, you can starve yourself from some lattes, some mochas, and some other um, things and chocolate bars and um, not should be eating McDonald's nastiness, amen. Tear your stomach up, Paris. Anyway, I, I may get sued, sorry. So, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and put that money aside and, um, and, and bag your lunch a few times and let's put some bread aside so that we can get on our block. They are asking us to do it. We were gonna shift it to the next year and the neighborhood was like, you gotta do it again. And so when the neighborhood asks you to do something, you may should do it. Amen, amen, amen. So let's, um, let's, let's, let's look at that. I got some other stuff they told me I was supposed to say on here. All right, so we got that. Oh, um, people get mad at me when I have something locally that I'm doing, and they say, Pastor, why didn't you tell me you was doing that? We would have come. So um, this weekend at Mother Bethel, just for one day on Saturday, it's the Voices Conference. And it's a conference on justice, uh, and race that's being done right here in this city. And it's going to be in Mother Bethel, AME, right downtown, the first, one of the first African-American denominations, well, the first African-American denomination started here in, in Philadelphia, and it will be at one of the first African-American churches in the country. And so we're excited to be able to be there at, at this historic spot. You could tour the place, buy some memorabilia, some resources and different things, and uh, hear me lead some discussions. So that's this Saturday all day. All right, I did that, all right? Y'all all right today? Let's go ahead and stand. Let's go ahead and stand. I want us to, I don't usually have us read long passages. Um, but I want us to read this passage in its entirety um, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 21. This is not like reading in an epistle. And so uh, I want us to read this together uh, on the board. You can go ahead and put it up. And with 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 21 on three. One, two, three, go.
Amen. Today, um, I am going to talk about Me Too. Me Too. Father, we thank you for your word that is not afraid to cover darkness. What a hard passage, God. Be with us today as I know under the sound of my voice there are men and women who have experienced something of the like. Guard my words like never before. Guard my heart. Nurture your people and give us a heart to serve some of the most broken issues in our culture and in our families. In Jesus' name, bring redemption. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, if my cadence is a bit off as I go through um, this passage, uh, please forgive me as I try to work through um, something that I think is necessary. A couple um, got married, beautiful young woman, handsome man got married. The man prior to marriage had had some prior sexual experiences. So when he came to the bedroom of his spouse, he wanted to download those experiences with his spouse. Um, and his spouse hadn't had any real consensual sexual experiences, but she had had some non-consensual sexual experiences. And the husband's expectations without knowing this in mind was that their bedroom was going to become a free-for-all. Little did he know that as beautiful as she was and as handsome as he is and how much he felt like he loved her, even without her past experiences, he couldn't bring his past to their bedroom because the two shall become one. But as he began to try to interact with his wife from honeymoon night and on, felt like she wasn't attracted to him or something was wrong with his ability, forgive the expression, to perform in the bedroom. So there was a lot of frustration there. And then finally, as they went through a lot of different challenges over the first few years of their marriage, they finally went to counseling. And she went individually, he went individually, and then the counselor immediately knew what was going on with her and suggested that their first meeting not be about hatching out their issues, but of her letting him know what had happened to her. And when they got in the room and she began to cry and the counselor handed her tissue and walked her through what she needed to say and she turned to her husband and said, my dad raped me for years. And when that happened to the husband, as sexually frustrated as he was, Empathy filled him. He grabbed his wife and he wept with her. 
You don't know what anyone has been through, family. As a pastor, I can tell you I have the honor and the privilege of hearing some of the most beautiful things in people's life, but I also have the challenge of hearing some of the most brutal things in people's life. And it's interesting seeing what type of world we're in today where it's long overdue where people who have been molested and people have been raped are finally getting a voice and they're finally getting justice. My mother tells me the story of back in the Jim Crow South, back in the days when a woman got pregnant by a man, they would send the woman away and hooray the man. There has been cultural shaming of women for years. Cultural shaming of women did not start in America. You look at this text and you look at the Bible and you hear the stories. The Bible is not a sugar-coated book. Most of us like to run to the New Testament, <clears throat> to the didactic passages that lack narrative and story. We like the passages about Jesus healing people. But a passage like this is a very, very challenging passage to wonder why in the world would God put a passage on rape in the Bible? Why would he do it? This is not the only passage. You have uh, the rape of Dinah in Genesis 34. You have the gang raping of a concubine in Judges. And God has placed these things in the Bible to show us how dark we are. How dark we are and how much of a mess many of us are in. And then he also shows even in the midst of some of the most broken and destructive circumstances, there's redemption and healing. Anna Poole, before I get into the text, she says, in recent months, wave after wave of sex reports have crashed national headlines, implicating, <clears throat> but not limited to, the United Nations, U.S. Congress, Hollywood kingpins, and an Olympic-linked leader. I've seen various reactions to these stories, horror, terror, disgust, paranoia. Some people are afraid that something like this, quote unquote, might happen to their kids. Others change the subject and retreat the topics less distressing. She says, but sexual abuse is a reality not confined to headlines. She said, it isn't something that happens out there. She said, in the Congo, a cabal, or fairway places, faraway places, disconnected from our lives, or all crimes, of all crimes, rape is the most globally underreported. She says, each year brings a national average of 322,000 new sex cases. But this probably represents just a silver 30% of the actual number. Sufferers live and work and worship among us. She says, are we mindful of them? Will we listen to them? Let's go to this passage. In 2 Samuel 13, 
This is a broken family. But their broken family didn't start in 2 Samuel 13. It started with a man who loved to shout. Started with a man who wrote scripture. It started with a man who was spiritual and God's anointed and chosen. He created a culture in his family of rejecting God. And although that mishap was forgiven, the culture and consequences of his sin created a false dichotomy among his children. As a matter of fact, the saying goes, Saul served God with no heart. David served God with a whole heart and Solomon with half a heart. We come to this passage and we come to a passage where a son, we, we have multi-family household. You got to understand this is a blended family. We have a lot of baby mamas in this New Old Testament. Baby mama-isms did not start in the hood. Started a long time ago where men couldn't control themselves because men do what men do. So we come to this challenging passage where David's children, you have children by this baby mama, children by this baby mama, they have a certain relationship. He has enough bread to have different ones and different cribs. And we come to this passage and we hear something crazy. It says, sometime passed, said David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. Nothing you wouldn't hear in the Bible. A lot of people are beautiful in the Bible. Bible says someone, a dude is handsome in form and appearance. Um, but the writer of this passage is nurturing this stuff so that he can paint a picture for us. It says, and David's son Amnon was infatuated with her. Now it's clear to you that this should show the alarm on in every one of our souls. <laughs> this should be very, very alarming that a brother would be infatuated with his half-sister. You know that in our culture, in particularly the black family culture, you, when you go to the family reunion, you can't just see somebody and think you can holler at them. Because you know a family member's gonna look at you like you're crazy and say, that's your cousin, three cousins over from your auntie, so-and-so-and-so. <laughs> in other words, they are giving you genealogy that lets you know that something's off limits. But uh, uh, this is not a family reunion atmosphere. This is just a young a man who is very entitled as a prince of Israel. And, and, and his entitlement, uh, he's used to getting what he wants. He's used to get, don't we have a culture of men who are used to getting what they want? And when they don't get what they want, they take what they want. So he's infatuated. It's interesting because Absalom's name doesn't reflect 
what he's going to do later, but then also Amnon's name doesn't either. Absalom's name means Father God is salvation. Amnon means faithful. I want you to write that somewhere. Tamar's name means sweet palm branch. Said he was infatuated. Somebody say infatuated. It's interesting that the word here in the Hebrew, I thought would be in a different term. But it's the Hebrew word achav, which is the cousin word of agape. That was confusing to me until the Spirit made it very clear to me why that word was used. That word was used because that's what he thought he had for her. See, many times we use the word love in our culture, we throw it around in very, very general ways, not knowing what the real root of what we say we feel is. That's why I think it's very beautiful that the translators translated this infatuation, meaning it wasn't real love, even though the semantic domain of the word can go from everything from God's love for you all the way to gluttonous love for food. But here it says he's infatuated with her, which means he's meditating on her in his mind and he's entertaining things in his mind about his sister that he should not be entertaining about his sister. I don't have no points today. We're just going to walk the text. This says Amnon was infatuated to the point of making himself sick. One translation said he was lovesick. In other words, he was extremely frustrated. His sister Tamar, because she was a virgin, said one of the reasons why he was attracted to her is because nobody had touched her. But it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Notice what the text says. It didn't say it wasn't impossible for him to marry her. That's not what it said. It's giving you indication of what type of love this is. It says that it was impossible in his mind that he would be able to do anything to her. Look at what it says. And a friend named Jonadab. Huh. A son of David's brother. That's his cousin. So this is his cousin. First cousin. Talking to him. Jonadab was very shrewd. Oh, my God, underline that. Know why? It points you back to Genesis 3. Because the serpent was more shrewd or more crafty than any animal in the field. <laughs> Whenever you see shrewd in a negative context, it, all, it usually points to demonic deception. 2 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 11 verses 1 through 4 uses the same ideology for talking about deception that leads you astray from devotion to Jesus Christ. So he was very, very shrewd. He was a smart dude. He, was, he, 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 he had ways of getting stuff done. That's what it meant. It meant, it meant if it can't get done, get a, a Jonadab and he'll make it happen for you. Or he'll give you the blueprint for how to get it done. He'd make it in New York pretty well. And it says, and he asked Amnon, he goes in, 
Go sees his cousin. And he says, why are you the king's son so miserable every morning? Why is he saying that to him? He said, you're a king's son. You get what you want. What's going on with you that you're tripping like that? He said, you're a king's son. How are you? I'm not a king's son. I'm just a duke or something. You understand what I'm saying? But you're a prince. Like, it's no way in the, you have nothing to complain about. That's what he's basically saying to him. He says, he says, so what's wrong with you? He said, won't you tell me? And look what it says. <coughs> I'm in love with Tamar. Stop right there. So he's telling his cousin that he's in love with his sister, which is his cousin. Usually, a wise person that doesn't have foolishness bound up in them. That's why you got to be careful who you put yourself around. Because when you put yourself around someone that nurtures your foolishness. Oh, don't look at me like you're crazy. All of us got some foolishness. All of us got some foolishness that if the right fool was around us, we'd be just as foolish as them or worse. <laughs> I'm in love with my sister. Let's just say that in the text. He said, my brother, Absalom's sister. Now, listen to how he did that, Pastor Larry. He tried to make it like she's not his sister. That's my brother's sister. In other words, that's my half-sister, so... You know. And so you need somebody to say, nah, bro, that's your sister. <laughs> Look what happens. He says, Jonadab said to him, listen, man, let's work something out to get you what you want. Lie down on your bed and pretend to be sick. While your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare a meal in my presence so I can watch and eat from her hand. I don't even understand what that means. What does watch mean? I don't even understand what in the world does that mean. Listen to what the Bible says about these type of violations. You don't have to turn there. I told you I'm, I'm trekking slow. Y'all trekking with me today? Yeah. Leviticus 18, don't turn there. <clears throat> in verses one through five, you can write it down. It calls the practices in this chapter as pagan. What I'm about to say are pagan practices. Okay? Verse six, I'm gonna start there though. He says, you are not to come near any close relative for sexual intercourse, I am the Lord. When God says that to you after he tells you something, that means that's bold, asterisks, highlight, everything, brackets, every, he's trying to emphasize his authority, but he's also emphasizing relationship. Because the Lord is Yahweh pointing to the covenant relationship to the people he's talking to and with him. He says, you are not to violate the intimacy that belongs to your father and your mother. Why does God even have to tell us stuff like this? She is your mother. You must not have sexual intercourse with her. 
You are not to have sex with your father's wife. She is your father's family. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your sister. Either your father's daughter, it's very specific. It's very specific. He's saying basically even your half-sister. Look, your father's daughter or your mother's, whether born at home or born elsewhere, you are not to have sex with her. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, for they are your family. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your father's wife, daughter, with your, father, your father's wife's daughter. Good God who was adopted by your father. She is your sister. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your father's sister. She is your father. It just keeps going. Why in the world does God have to tell us this stuff? Because he knows how wicked man is. Paul says the law exists because man sin does. It's the knowledge of sin that gives us the need to have very specific laws. The reason why we have laws is because man has no boundaries. And even if you don't do the sin, it's to point to what your heart could do. Are y'all tracking with me? And so these are very, very specific laws that they would not have been ignorant of. And so after it talks about his level of frustration and distress and making himself sick, if you will, his friend tells him to pretend to be sick. And from there, after he pretends to be sick, it says, so Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my presence so I can eat from her hand. Next. <laughs> David sent word to Tamar at the palace. I don't necessarily think David is doing anything wrong. He's not. That's the farthest thing from his mind. So we can't judge him right here. Please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare a meal for him. Then Tamar, the virgin, untouched, young lady, went to his house while Amnon was lying down. She took dough and kneaded it, made cakes in his presence. So he's watching her plotting on her, praying on her. That's what predators do. I'm so sorry that some of y'all under the sound of my voice were preyed upon. You walking in front of a man's face or a predator's face and him having sick ideas about you is not your fault. And it's okay if I don't hear back from you. It's okay. Because some of you need to know it's not your fault. Even if you were scantily dressed, it's not your fault. You know what? The, 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 the most demonic thing I hear is she shouldn't have been dressed like that. What, what, what does that have? I mean, we got salt for modesty, but that has nothing to do with getting raped. The lesson to a rape victim isn't modesty. Not the lesson. That's actually re-traumatizing them. Help me today, God. 
He refused to eat. <laughs> this is when it gets crazy. Amnon said, everyone leave me. Guess what he's doing? He knows the text. He knows the Bible. 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 He knows Exodus 22, 16 and 17. He also knows Deuteronomy 22, and he knows the laws of rape. He knows them. And he knows what he's about to do if she doesn't give it to him. Know why I know? Because the Bible says if a woman is raped and cries out and no one hears it, he, so he knows that he wants to send her out so that there are no witnesses because every truth is established by two or three witnesses. So if she has a word against him, all it is is his word. So one of the things predators like to do is isolate you. <laughs> so he leaves everyone. <coughs> everyone left him. He's abusing his. He said, bring the meal to, my, to the bedroom. Tamar, and, and, and Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat from your hand. <laughs> Tamar took the cakes. She's doing what any sister would do for a brother. What sister wouldn't cook for a brother when he's sick? So let's not even act like she knew what she was getting herself into and she shouldn't have been in there in the first place. All of that, all j j yo gabba gabba, jibby jabba mess, I get out my face. <laughs> Tamar took cakes, had made them and went to her brother Amnon's bedroom. Next. When she brought them to him to eat, he grabbed her. There it is. That's the first, that's the first problem. He grabbed her. Now he's become aggressive with his sister, and he's done something, he's about to do something extremely evil. I'm just walking through this. He said, come sleep with me. <laughs> it's interesting. Let's just say this would have been consensual. Do you grab somebody? That's why I don't like when men, when women walk past, they grab your hand and that type of stuff. That's disrespectful. How you doing? That's, that's, that's not, that's, that's harassment. Give me a hug. I don't, I, I don't, I don't do handshakes. I do hugs. Harassment. I don't know you. I don't know you. Sleep with me, my sister. Can, how does that even in the same daggone sentence? How in the sentence did you say, sleep with me, sister? This is unbelievable. But, but, but listen to her fourfold response. She's a beast. In a good way. I mean, in a very, very good way. Don't, my brother. First thing she does is she affirms their relationship in the boundaries of the relationship by calling him back, my brother. So she tells him, don't, I love her fight. Now, this is not to say that if you balled up and couldn't fight, that it was still your fault. I just wanna tell you in the text how she fought back, okay? Verbal judo is what she's doing right now. <clears throat> she says, and she cried, <coughs> don't disgrace me. In other words, as your sister, 
you should want me not to be disgraced because in Genesis chapter 34, you see that Levi and Simeon, when Dinah got raped and Jacob did nothing about it, Simeon looked at Levi and said, you know what we need to do, right? You know Pop's a mama's boy. He was. He said he ain't about that life. You a Levite, I'm Simeon. We the OGs in the bunch. We going to kill everybody. Now I'm not telling you. <laughs> Some of y'all like CPAS, that's all I needed. Switchblade and a gat, I'm good, right? <laughs> but she's, she's trying to appeal to his better judgment. <laughs> then she gives him cultural and covenantal communication. I love it. She says, for such a thing should never be done in Israel. She said, this isn't even something that we culturally affirm. This is not something that we biblically affirm. Brother, brother. She cried. And she, was, she said, don't commit this outrage. And then what did she say after that? Where could I go? Where could I ever go with my humiliation? Then she said, and you. Because she's like, you know we got a fleet of siblings. You would be like one of the outrageous fools of Israel. Please speak to the king, for he, will, he won't keep me from you. I like this last one. Because she's inferring to him to go to her father before he does this, to ask for her hand in marriage. And, but she's not suggesting that he get married to her. She's basically saying, if you go to dad and tell him this mess, dad gonna shut the whole thing down. So then it happens, and it goes down, and we see here, it says, but he refused to listen to her, like many rapists do. And because he was stronger than she, he disgraced her by raping her. Let's define rape. Because some people seem to be foggy on what it is. There's a lot of forms of rape. There's forced penetration. Molestation is actually rape. When someone coerces a child to have sex with them, that's rape. Molestation is just a nice word. Coercing someone younger than you who does not understand what's happening is rape. Compliance to preserve personal safety. What do I mean by that? If a person feels like they're in danger and they allow you to penetrate them, it's still rape. Even though they said go ahead, because it wasn't consensual, it was forced by violence. That's covered in the scriptures as well. Drugging someone and taking advantage of them. You take that however you want to take it. Rape. Them being high themselves. Not like you got them high. They're high or drunk. And seeming like they're consenting. If they are consenting under the influence, it's not consensual. Abuse isn't just the act, it is even the coercion process. It says, so Amnon, verse 15, hated Tamar with such intensity 
that the hatred he hated her with was greater than the love he had her with. He loved her with. Listen to what he says. Get out of here. How did this go from, I want you really bad, to now get out? Verse 16, no. I like her tenacity. She cried. She says, sending me away is much worse than the great wrong you've already done. Why did she say that? She said, because you're acting like we actually had consensual sex and you're sending me out like that. And so you're, you're making me equal with you in sin. <laughs> she said, so this is worse than what you did. Because not only did you rape me, but you're trying to act like it's consensual. But he refused to listen. Instead, listen to what he does. He called to the servant who waited on him. Get this away from me. I'm just reading. I don't even need to exegete that. Get this away from me. Throw her out and bolt the door behind her. Verse 18, Amnon's servant threw her out, put his hands on her. So debilitating. And bolted the door behind her. Now Tamar was wearing a long sleeve garment because this is what the king's virgins, virgin daughters wore. It's interesting. What the fathers were supposed to do is the fathers were supposed to give oversight to their daughter's virginity and to make sure that they never allowed them to be put in situations where they would give their virginity away or their virginity would be taken. So this garment was a cultural sign, just like the wedding band in our culture. The garment was a cultural sign that no one has ever touched her and no one shouldn't be without father's consent. And what does she do? Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the sleeve, the long sleeve garment she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went out crying. In other words, she went out of the room making sure that people knew what happened to her. In other words, she's seeking advocacy. She's wanting people to know what's going on with her and she's seeking advocacy. That's what needs to happen in our culture is when someone cries out, we need to hear them. And so she pursues crying out. I don't know how I feel about verse 20. Her brother, Absalom, said to her, he's the one that noticed. So that means whatever location that Amnon lived in, <laughs> she traveled from that location to where Absalom was and nobody advocated for her. That means people saw that something happened but didn't do anything about it. She gets to her brother's house or where she lives because they're all siblings staying in the same house who all got the same mother. <laughs> and look what he says. Has your brother Amnon been with you? 
Now you got to understand, Absalom is the gangster hothead of the family. He says, be quiet for now. I, I can read whatever commentary I want to. That's tough to hear. That's, that's tough for your first advocate to muzzle you. I can go in so many stories where so many people were victimized and they weren't believed. Now that's not what's happening here, but the muzzling is still to the victim like not being believed. And one of the things we have to do is we have to be quick to help bring resolution to the moment of brokenness as quickly as we can. I can't tell you how many mothers didn't believe their daughters and sons because they wanted to keep their boyfriend happy. Ain't nobody gonna talk back, it's okay. How dare you make room for your loneliness above your child's identity? It's happened in my family. I'm not talking from non-experience. I have close relatives that have kept secrets. My family was, our family was a secret, like secret place. You understand the old school black family is, 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 is a scary place to be in. And I'm getting ahead of myself and I'm almost done, but it's this closed culture and such huge distance between children and parents. I've heard the same from my Asian siblings, Korean and Chinese and Japanese. I had a Japanese roommate. Same thing, honor, shame culture for them. So in engaging an adult about such a thing would have been abhorrent to them because it's an honor issue, not a protection of child issue. And in our family, we tried to save face. When I asked whose son is that, my mom would say, shut up, boy. I said, don't so-and-so look like so? She said, babe, she'd take me aside and be about to spank me. And I don't understand because I'm noticing dynamics as a child that I shouldn't be noticing, but the family knows it's happening. The victim is at the family reunion with the person that molested and raped them and adults know and do nothing about it. So here, so here, Absalom will tell his sister, I know he, what he's trying to do, and I know what he's going to do later. This is tough. To hear, be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take it to heart. Don't take it to heart. You're going to tell a rape victim, don't take your rape to heart. This breaks my heart. As I listen to this, just some things as I end. She said she was shamed or disgraced. She was. Christ, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2, that he was willing to despise our shame by taking it on. On the cross, Jesus didn't just die for your sins, he died for your hurts. Or some, you gotta hear what I just said. 
Most of the time, we feel like he just died for our sin. He not only died for your sin, but he died for your hurts. And so Christ died on the cross for what happened to you. So we as a church, know what I hate about this passage? Verse 21. When King David heard about all these things, he was furious. Absalom didn't say anything to Amnon, either good or bad, because he hated Amnon since he disgraced his sister. David was angry but didn't do anything. Jacob over in Genesis 34 says, when Levi and Simeon killed all of the, the whole crew of everybody, he says, look what the position you put me in. And know and no, what Levi and Simeon did? Yeah, but... Yeah, but is he going to treat our sister like some type of prostitute, though? That's what the text says. I, I, I kind of like that swag on that. I'm going to be honest with you. Even though you're talking to your pops, but still. So a few things. We have to fight sexual predators. A few things I would encourage. I know I'm over, but I got to get this out. Is that Okay. Prepare your children as best you can. Um, in my house, you don't sleep over nobody's house. It's in my house. You don't sleep over nobody's house. No male babysitters. Now, I know women can do, it's just a whole different thing I'm telling you as a parent and as a man, it's awkward to change a girl's diaper that's not your daughter. That doesn't mean someone's thinking sexually, it's just you see the oddity of it. Are y'all tracking with me? Don't ignore those awkward barriers. If someone doesn't feel right, don't put your children conveniently with who's available if you know in your spirit something ain't right. I ain't saying trust your gut. I'm talking about trust the spirit that's talking. That's the spirit. That ain't somebody. That's angel. That's the Holy Ghost. Constant dialogue with your children about their bodies and what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. One of the things I do with my kids, I, from a very young age, they know the names of their body parts. I, and, I, and I tell them, there's only one person that can touch you there. You. And I ask them, these are the questions that I ask my kids. Has anyone ever touched you here? Has anyone ever put anything in this hole? I, that's why I don't want children in here. I ask them that from a very young age. Has anyone asked you to put their mouth on theirs that's like yours or your brother's? I'm very specific with them. And I keep, I, with children, you don't know, so you gotta ask like 10 times so that you can kinda get the call. And I said, you're not in trouble. So you have to almost nurture your child because they think you're interrogating them about something that they did wrong because some fool told them 
that the secret would get out would hurt something and even them and get them in trouble. So they've been nurtured. So just talking and nurturing with your kids is, I'm not saying this is the, this is the final solution, but you gotta have an open dialogue with your kids on a regular basis. You gotta come home, make yourself emotionally available and you gotta dial in and you gotta walk with your children on a regular basis. Again, never ignore feelings of discomfort, no matter who the person is, even if it's a family member. Because a lot of, over 50% of this stuff happens with family members. Assure your children, if it's happened to them, of your deep love for them. Build an environment of open dialogue versus a massive gap of authoritarian hierarchy. Saying all of this to say, I know that this is a tough subject. And we have some sheets in the back with resources on them for people who have gone through this. And I don't necessarily expect you to come up, but I want to pray for everyone. I'm not going to ask you if this happened to you, stand up. I don't want to do that. But I want everybody to stand. I want everybody to stand. We have some resources from you, everything from counselors, to articles, to websites, and different things because we knew, and if you need to talk now with someone, um, there, are, there, there are gonna be those who are available in the back as well. Um, <clears throat> because we really wanna make sure that you get on the road to being whole in this particular area of your life. Father, tough subject, yet it's in the book. Lord, all of our families have some level of deep dysfunctionality. And our dysfunctionality doesn't take you by surprise at all. And I'm pretty sure that there are men, I know this leaned on the female victim side. But a quiet storm in our churches and in our families is the molestation of men as well. God, I pray that the shame of embarrassment doesn't keep them suffering in secret. But God, I'm praying that you would lasso them in with your love. Ephesians 3 says, Lord, that we may know the love of Christ that surpasses all comprehension. May you restore your people from broken places. Anyone that's been sexually violated even, be, even, even the trauma of not necessarily being actually raped or molested, but being groomed. The grooming process is even predatorial. God, I pray that you would help us and those who have experienced these broken, destructive fallacies. God, will you meet them where they are? Will you break the yoke of bondage and the lies? And God, I pray that you would call out the predator. If there's a predator in this room, drop them to their knees and bring them to ferocious repentance and even redemption and even restitution. And Lord God, I pray that the church, that we would be known for dealing with the hardest of the hardest things, knowing that Christ's death 
is sufficient and his resurrection is sufficient to give us lasting change and strength through every challenge. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. Let our men come. We're going to celebrate the Lord's death. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.